This is Reverend Kirk Lawton, minister at Ocean Lakes Family Campground, and this is our podcast. Our prayer is that this message may enrich your life as you find God especially meaningful to you. Thank you for worshiping with us. This morning, I'd like for us to look together at the story of one of the miracles which Jesus performed. It's the story of his healing of the woman who touched the hem of his garment. This miracle is recorded by Matthew chapter 9, by Mark chapter 5, and by Luke uh, in chapter 8. Now, if you will take time to read that story, perhaps put a pause right here and uh, we'll come back. But let me just tell you something about this story if you don't have time to read it right now. The woman in this story was suffering from a problem which was very common, also very hard to deal with. Many different cures were offered in those days for a possible remedy. But many of these so-called cures were perhaps worse than the disease itself. Some suggested cures were nothing more than superstition, such as carrying the ashes of an ostrich egg and a linen rag in the summer and in a cotton rag in the winter. Uh, No doubt this woman had tried many remedies, if not all of them. She had been to the doctors, respectable, reputable physicians of her day, but they were not able to help her at all. I find it rather interesting to note that in Mark's account, this woman is described in these words, having suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was nothing bettered listen to these next four words, but rather grew worse. That's verse 26. That's what Mark had to say. Now, Luke's account of this same story is slightly different in wording. You remember Luke's profession? He was a physician. He was a doctor. And so Luke simply says, this woman had spent all her living upon physicians, neither could be healed of any, any. Dr. Luke didn't say she got worse after she went to see the doctor. (laughs) An equally interesting comment on Jewish thought is found in what's called the Mishnah, which is the written summary of the traditional law. Speaking of trades which a man might teach his son, one writer says, mule drivers are most of them wicked. Camel drivers are most of them proper folk. Sailors are most of them saintly. The best among physicians is destined for hell. (laughs) Well, I think he got several of those things maybe wrong. Fortunately, we know now that people cannot be categorized according to profession. Although there's some today, you know, who still fall into that trap. They say all preachers, all doctors, all lawyers, whatever. I like that. I hear about the, remember about the man who came to a cemetery. He's looking through the cemetery. He came upon a tombstone. He read the inscription on the tombstone and said, Here lies a lawyer and an honest man. And the man mumbled to himself. He said, My goodness, they're burying him now two to a grave. Well, the physicians of Jesus' day had no success in dealing with this woman's problem. It may have been something like a bleeding cancer. One day she heard of Jesus, a man who had power to give sight to the blind, who could make the lame to walk, who could even raise a person from the dead. 
Surely she must have thought, he has the power to heal me of my disease. But there was a problem. Her particular disease was not only physically painful, but it was also a very embarrassing thing. In addition to this, she was considered to be ceremonially unclean. And we find the basis for that in Old Testament, Leviticus chapter 15, verse 19, says this, And if a woman have an issue, and her issue and her flesh be blood, she shall be put apart seven days, and whosoever toucheth her shall be unclean until the evening. And so we see this particular disease had cut this woman off from life. She had lost her opportunity to be a wife, a mother, to have a home. Life for her was almost without hope. She was not even allowed to mix and mingle with other people. In fact, she probably was in that crowd around Jesus that day illegally. She wasn't supposed to be there. This is why she didn't come up openly to Jesus, I think. She rather crept up to him in the crowd. Now, in the time of Jesus, every devout Jew wore an outer robe with four tassels on it, the four corners, one at each corner. These tassels were worn in obedience to the command in Numbers chapter 15, verses 38 through 40. Let me read this. Speak unto the children of Israel and bid them that they make them fringes in the borders of their garments throughout their generations, and that they put upon the fringe of the border a ribbon of blue. And it shall be unto you for a fringe that you may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them, and that you seek not after your own heart and your own eyes. So you see these tassels, one on each of the four corners of the garment, these tassels were to remind the Jews that they were chosen people of God. This was the badge of a devout Jew. In later years, it became dangerous to be a Jew, and those tassels were worn then on, on the undergarments. But at this time, they were worn on the outer garments, and Jesus was no doubt wearing these tassels on his outer garment. Jesus was a Jew, you know. It was most likely that this woman slipped through the crowd and touched one of those tassels, and she was thrilled to find herself cured. I think this woman might well have been able to share the feelings of the hymn writer who said, When other helpers fail and comforts flee, help of the helpless, oh, abide with me. Now, what was the real message behind this miracle? Why did the three gospel writers see fit to include this and one in their accounts? Well, there were many other miracles, I'm sure, that were done by Jesus did not get included in the Bible. The Bible refers to that somewhere else. Dr. William Barclay, the great commentator on Scripture, suggested there are some truths this miracle tells us about three people. First, it tells us something about Jesus. Now, we don't often think about this, but the truth is that it took something out of Jesus to heal a person. Did you realize that? We're prone to think that a person who can heal like Jesus could was able to heal with very little or no effort at all on his part. Not so. Every time Jesus healed anyone, it took something out 
of him. This is a universal truth of life. We shall never amount to anything in any walk of life unless we are willing to put ourselves out on a limb, as it were, to be willing to have something taken out of us. For example, a football player who goes out onto the field with the idea of never being willing to fall down or one who is unwilling to become very tired, <laughs> that person will never be successful as a football player. Or an actor or an actress might go through the motions correctly and repeat all the right words of the script at the right time. But unless that person is willing to become emotionally involved in the play, then it will not be a true success. On the opposite extreme, look at Moses, the man who led God's people and who in the process became so identified with them that at one point he prayed for God to blot him out of the book of remembrance if only his people could be saved. Listen, Exodus 32, a couple of verses, beginning in verse 31. And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, Oh, this people have sinned a great sin and have made them gods of gold. Yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book which thou hast written. Moses was willing to give his life so that his people could be saved. When this woman touched the tassel of Jesus' garment, he immediately knew that what had been done, that she had touched the garment. And the writers record, Mark 5.30, Jesus immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? And the logical conclusion of this truth is that when we walk with the Lord, we better be prepared to spend not only our substance, but also our souls, our strength, our very lives for the sake of others. It says a lot about Jesus, doesn't it? But this miracle tells us also something about the disciples. It seemed not to matter at all to these men that here was a woman who had suffered for 12 long years. They took what might be called the common sense approach to the situation. I think in all honesty, you and I would probably have been in that same situation. The disciples were if we'd been there. There was a mob of people all around Jesus, all jostling and pushing to get a better view. And then all of a sudden Jesus says, who touched me? Why, plenty of people had touched him. But there was one special touch and Jesus knew it. The disciples were insensitive to that special touch, really insensitive to the special needs of one person in the group. I wonder if that can be true of us today. We are guilty of failing to see the real needs of people all around us. If this be the case, then the prayer poem by Grace Noel Kroll might well be our petition also. God, let me find the lonely ones among the throng today, and let me say the word to take the loneliness away. So many walk with aching hearts along the old highway. So many walk with breaking hearts, and no one understands. They find the roadway rough and steep across the barren lands. God help me lighten weary eyes and strengthen nerveless hands. 
God help me brighten dreary eyes and let my own grief be a sure reminder of the grief of those who walk with me. When words fail, hands fail, let me go in silent sympathy. Isn't it wonderful to know that God loves each one of us as if there were only one person in the world for him to love. But we also see in this miracle a, a truth about someone else. That is the woman who was healed. When Jesus asked, who touched me? The woman knew that her touch had been discovered. In verse 33, we read, but the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. Can you imagine her plight? How difficult this must have been? It was not a one-on-one -on -one conversation in a private room somewhere. It was humiliating to confess the whole truth among all those people. Confess not only to Jesus, but all those standing around surely heard her confession. But if we could have watched her face and could have seen the lines of fear and fright, surely I think we would have seen a drastic change come over her face when Jesus begins to speak to her. He says, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. This is the only time Jesus used that term daughter in addressing another person. You see, it was not her money that saved her. She had already spent all she had. It was not her church membership that saved her. She's probably too ashamed to enter the synagogue, aside from being forbidden to go, really. It was not her influence with Jesus or with others. She was an outcast. She was just one of a crowd and was not even supposed to be there that day. But Jesus said that it was her faith that saved her. We talk a lot about faith and trust in Jesus. But the real danger for us is that we might be so near to him, like so many in the crowd that day, we might never really touch him. The saving, cleansing power of Jesus is ready and willing for us to partake of, if only we will do it. It's waiting for us. Dr. Lewis Banks, old Methodist preacher, illustrated this truth with one of his stories. He said, one day a boy came to his father and said, Dad, it's just six weeks now before I'm going to be going off to college. I was wondering if you're going to give me a going away present. If you are, I have a suggestion to make. The old father smiled indulgently and replied, Well, what is your suggestion, son? Now, we must remember this was many, many years ago. The boy smiled, his eyes sparkled. He said, Dad, could you find me somewhere a secondhand car? one that I could take with me to college. Well, boys in school or college students didn't have cars back in those days. But the father, still smiling, said, well, you want a secondhand car, son? Wouldn't you rather have a brand new car, one that nobody else had ever owned? Well, the boy's eyes opened wide in excitement and astonishment. He said, could I have a new one, Dad? Could you afford that? Very thoughtfully, the father answered, well, son, I don't know. That may be possible. I can't promise you anything about that now. So the next night when the father came in from work, he brought with him a book and called the boy over and asked him for a personal favor. I want you to read this book, son. Read every page of it. 
And the father explained that this book was new and in the printing process and cutting the book, some of the pages had not been cut out at the edges. And so the father gave instructions, son, you, as you read the book, you'll need to cut these pages on the edge uh, as you read them. But remember, son, I want you to read every page in this book as soon as you can. Well, about a week went by before the boy got up enough courage to ask his dad again about that car. Instead of answering the boy's questions, when he did ask, the father instead asked another question in return. He said, uh, son, how are you coming along with reading that book I gave you? Oh, I've read about half of it, dad, answered the boy. Once more, the father repeated his original request. I want you to read every page of that book as soon as you can cutting the pages as you read them. So the boy went to his room and began reading some more in the book. As the days went by, the boy asked again and again about the car, and each time the father answered with another question. I'm not sure, son. How about the book I ask you to read? Every time the boy would go and read some more pages in the book. Finally, it came to the last night before the boy was to go away to college. He went to where his father was seated in a chair reading the paper. And the boy opened the conversation by saying, Dad, I want to talk to you a minute. Dad, you know that you and I have always been able to talk to each other. We've been such good pals. and We've always been open with each other. Dad, I, I want to ask you a question. Why didn't I get the car that we've been talking about? I'm leaving tomorrow for school. Once again, the father asked that same question. Son, have you finished reading the book I gave you to read? Yes, sir, I have, replied the boy. Well, all except the last few pages. The father said, son, go get that book and bring it to me. In just a few minutes, the son was back, and he was a bit guilty in his heart as he handed the book to his dad, realized that he had not done exactly what his father had asked him to do, read all of the book. The father took out his pocket knife, and he cut the few last remaining uncut pages. As he cut the last two pages, out fell from the book a piece of paper. The boy picked it up and started dancing with joy. Now he saw it was a check made out to the automobile company. It was a check in full payment for a brand new car. But then the boy stopped suddenly and stood very still. As it dawned on him, the check had been there all along. But because he had failed to do what his father had asked, he had missed the joy of owning that car for a month. The boy's hand trembled now, and he took the check and tore it up and threw it into the wastebasket. Tears were now running down the boy's cheek, and he confessed, Dad, I don't deserve that car. Then the father pulled him down on the arm of his chair and put his arm around his son. He said, Son, you know, we miss a lot of things in life when we leave uncut the pages of life that we ought to cut. But I believe you've learned your lesson now, so let's go get that car. It's been waiting for you for a month, full of gas, ready to go. Oh, how often we too miss receiving some of the greatest blessings our Heavenly Father has ever offered because we leave uncut the pages of life that we ought to cut. Father, help us to be obedient to your word to us and to know that you have a reason for everything you tell us to do, not to hurt us, but to give us joy.
to give us fulfillment in life, to give us even healing from our spiritual disease of sin. Thank you for giving us Jesus, who is our burden bearer and who is our sin forgiver. In his name we pray, amen.